Hello everyone and welcome to the Research and Innovation Podcast. I'm Catherine Watson, a Research Manager at Leeds University Business School, and I'm joined today by my friend and colleague, Juliet Kelly, who is a lecturer in Leadership and HRM at Northumbria University. Lovely to see you, Catherine. And you, Juliet. We would like to talk to you about intersectionality in the workplace, and we're going to discuss what is intersectionality and why is it important. We would also like to talk to you about our research in the retail sector, where we identified intersectionality as an important issue. And then we will go on to consider what should managers do to tackle this issue. Before we get started, I'd like to mention that we have a journal article published in Gender Work and Organisation on intersectional identities and career progression in retail. You can find the link to this paper in the episode show notes. We will refer to some of the findings in this paper in our discussion. So, Julia, let me bring you in now and ask you, what is intersectionality? Well, I think people may consider intersectionality as some sort of awareness that everyone has multiple identity characteristics. Um, And this is partially right, but I think it's much more than that. Um, So intersectionality was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw, and it has its origins in black feminist theory. So the theory recognises that, and this is where it gets a bit complicated, that socially constructed identity characteristics, so race, class, gender, sexual orientation, and they simultaneously interact with each other and with wider societal and power structures to construct experiences of either oppression or privilege, which is unique to each individual. So where you are intersectionally socially located in a given context, will affect your lived experience. So you'll either assign different meanings to to power structures based on this positioning. So you can see it gets complicated rather quickly. Yes, indeed. Uh, Thank you. So, So now we know what intersectionality is. Can I ask you, why is it important that we adopt an intersectional perspective or lens in the workplace? Yeah, that's a great question. I think we forget that in workplaces are not neutral spaces. They are environments which create and reproduce inequalities. And this can be seen, for instance, um, in ACA's inequality regime. So these are the organisational practices or processes which can create inequalities based upon sort of class, gender and or race. And these are things we might not even consider in our day to day work. So wage setting, recruitment practices, informal interactions. So I think once we reflect upon the power structures in our organisations and we consider the diversity of our workforce, we're then more aware of the potential inequalities that employees may face, such as access to training or career progression barriers, for example. And so adopting an intersectional approach is important not only for such moral reasons, um, but in terms of the business case. So I think, Catherine, you're aware that the reputation of organisations is increasingly under the spotlight. So companies are increasingly taking notice about their role in the world, quite rightly, and are now focusing more on how best they can support their employees, which can only be a good thing. Okay, thank you, Juliet. Um, Let me just go on to ask you, what does the academic research tell us about intersectionality? So we've heard now that intersectionality is so complex. The definitions and the methodological application for research is really, really challenging. Um, But I feel a great strength is its multidimensional approach to understanding inequalities. So no individual identity is segregated, nor individual experience is disregarded. And I think this has fueled its popularity, really. Um, And so when scholars use intersectional analyses, this really importantly challenges a dominant narrative, which is traditionally presented by the white majority population. um, And 
most importantly, it gives voice to underrepresented populations. And so I feel this is really, really powerful. And so these analyses are not only more holistic and accurate in examining kind of these multiple structures. So, for instance, if we take it in a company context, not only in analysis at the individual level, but the team or department level and the wider organization, if we think about this framework on a day to day organizational basis. Um, Catherine, I know you've been looking at reports on intersectionality within organizations. Uh, what, what does that tell us? Yes, I have. And, and actually, there aren't all that many reports, really, that pick up on intersectionality. But one that I found that is very useful is by the Chartered Institute of Personnel and Development. That's the CIPD. Hmm. And they make a very important point about intersectionality, that we have multiple overlapping identities is rarely a feature of the research studies that are out there. So there's very much a tendency in research to focus on sole protected characteristics. So that is a weakness in, in the research literature, and it highlights the need for a, a more holistic view of diversity. And the CIPD report goes on to give two um, practical implications of, of this failing in the literature. Mm. Um, firstly, what it says is that, that there has been a lot of emphasis on gender diversity on boards. And, you know, a lot of organisations have made a really big uh, effort to address that imbalance. Um, but they do say that this has not benefited women of colour to the same extent that um, women from the majority population who are not from ethnic minorities have benefited. And then another area where it shows up is uh, with regard to the pay gap. So obviously organisations are required to do gender pay gap reporting and many have also taken up doing race pay gap reporting. But how do these two things fit together? Um, and the CIPD uh, report goes on to comment that diversity and inclusion at work does not really take account of these intersectional influences and the outcomes and barriers that they present to people who are from multiple minority groups. So it's acknowledged that in intersectionality is complex in research, but yet the, the failing to address this has very um, broad implications for a lot of people. Um, so what I'd like to do then is to um, to just move on to look at the paper that we have uh, recently published in Gender Work and Organisation. Um, this research explores organisational practices and processes that lead to career progression inequalities in the retail industry. Of course, the sector is very interesting in that it's highly feminised, both in terms of the workforce and the clientele. So, Juliet, could I just ask you to tell us um, some examples of what the research in this paper found out with regard to intersectionality? Yeah, thanks, Catherine. Well, uh, I think you touched upon it right there. You know, despite the feminised nature of retail, our participants faced um, multiple career inequalities due to their intersectional positioning as minority ethnic women. So uh, minority ethnic female participants were actually disproportionately affected by discrimination from customers uh, in comparison to their white counterparts, which was quite surprising. Um, and as we all know, appearance is very significant in retailing from uh, demographic characteristics to the uniforms that um, 
employees wear. So we found that actually customers made assumptions that um, our participants lacked in certain forms of sort of social or cultural capital required in their role, and so discriminated against them, which um, I think was quite shocking. We, we both we both thought that um, from conducting the research. And so actually in the paper, then we propose that the power relationship between the customer and employee, um, whilst perhaps causing alienation at the best of times in terms of that power dynamic, may be then exacerbated between a minority ethnic female employee and clients or customers in higher positions of privilege. And so such a lack of sort of matching, as it's termed, between how customers think retail service staff should look like and their real life experiences points to how the gendered and racialized assumptions are interwoven within the power relations um, that are firmly still embedded within retailing. So there's much to do, I think, in, in terms of the retailing space. Um, so Catherine, is there anything else that you'd like to mention from the research? Yes, there is. Thanks, Juliet. Um, what tra- strikes me as particularly deserving attention is the intersection of age um, with gender and ethnicity. And there are two aspects to this, really. Uh, first of all, we we found that younger minority ethnic women may be op- optimistic about their ability to achieve their career ambitions, um, and that they may f- very well feel happy in their current role. You know, they they see that they have a good job and it's interesting and rewarding. But what they do is they look to the future and they look around them, and if they don't see people that they feel they can relate to, you know, as role models, then they will doubt their future in the organisation. And that obviously has real implications for uh, retention of the workforce for the organisation. And it can, you know, it can be a real shame that people will uh, move on uh, to another job if, if they don't feel that they are represented there in the senior level. The other aspect to to this intersection that we found out is that um, there are a number of older women where they have been trying to overcome challenges throughout their whole career. And basically, they've got to the position where they feel worn out with it and they've simply given up trying to fight against these barriers. Um, They accept where they are now and they don't try to progress their career anymore. Uh, And I do think this is such a great shame, you know, that they're not having the opportunity to realise the full potential in their careers. Uh, And I certainly hope that organisational attitudes are changing. I think in this context, the the line management and the organisational culture are key, and it is addressing these broader issues that is absolutely critical. So so that uh, gives uh, some insight into our findings from the research. But I'd I'd like to just now go on and consider what are the implications of these findings. And Juliet, if I can ask you, what do you think line managers or HR managers need to do about intersectionality? Mm. Well, I think once managers consider the the power structures in their organisations and the multiple identities of their employees, uh, not only grouping workers based upon one sort of singular identity, such as gender, and we've seen that quite a lot in the in the media and so on and so forth, then leaders can then take constructive steps, I think, informed by um, the experience and voices of all their colleagues to ensure that everybody in our organisations is treated equi- equitably. And, and what does this look like then? Well, um, these steps can include the education piece. So absolutely establishing staff networks, investing in training on um, on pronouns or microaggressions. Um, but I think that training can't just be a singular, you know, singular event. 
I think leaders themselves need to be held accountable and demonstrate this kind of visible allyship through concrete actions and behaviours. Uh, we need to remember that intersectionality highlights power structures. So leaders, I think, should use their positions to amplify the voices of their employees. Um, and this will help to build a culture of transparency, hopefully trust and belonging to the company. Um, and this will be beneficial to employees, I think, in the long term in being able to, to speak to their authentic experiences and to feel more comfortable in bringing their whole selves to work uh, without fear of discrimination. Thank you, Juliet. Um, so that brings me to, to wrap up this podcast now. Juliet, I would really like to say many thanks for talking with me today. I very much enjoyed our discussion. The work that you in particular have done on intersectionality is really insightful. So th- thank you for that. Um, I think we've raised many issues here and I hope our listeners find them useful. Thanks very much, Catherine. Always a pleasure. So then I'd like to just say thank you to our listeners um, for joining this podcast. I hope you have found it both useful and, and inspiring and that there's some practical tips here. If you're interested in this research, please get in touch either directly with me at the University of Northumbria or via the link provided with the podcast. Uh, so thank you and goodbye. Bye bye.